He wouldn't know. The ones that I've been exposed to are. Yeah. Hopefully I'm on camera. We had three likes when Wanda sat down. It probably ended by now. <laughs> they approve of the new teacher. So. Good morning. Uh, Steve's out, out, in, out of town, so we're going to run this the, uh, through class. If, if anybody's watching online, it's just going to set it and forget it. The camera isn't going to move. We don't have the mics here. I'll just kind of repeat what was heard. It might be summarized and repeated for online. But, uh, and unfortunately, I'm going to tell you, I don't even have a whole lot of questions. But if anyone wants comments, I welcome those. So, and I'll show you in here in a second. So we're going to continue our study on the kingdom. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, one word answers would be all right. And I'm okay with that too. I've been, I've been trying to coach Matt into doing a little repeating, and some of it's for the, the video, but also people sit 40 feet apart. You know, so the people, somebody says something over here, it's hard for the people over here to say it. So it can be summarized, and everybody can hear. You know, with the with the speaker, everybody gets a chance to hear it. So. Yeah, use big words. Ugh, this one must have, this one's just dead. Yeah, it must be. It comes up looking full strength, but I'll play with that later. Sorry about that. The one-man show is not doing too well today. We got the right song leader, the one who's trained with leading songs with a clicker. If it comes down to the one clicker day, at least Paul has done that kind of thing before. So that's a good thing. All right, morning. We're going to continue our study of the kingdom of Christ. Uh, phase one, we looked at what the Old Testament says about Christ's kingdom. Phase two, we looked at what Jesus said about the kingdom and the gospels. Phase three, what did the New Testament writers say about Christ's kingdom? And this is about where we're at. Three, four, as we kind of transition into what does Jesus do with this kingdom following the end of creation? Okay, this is about where we're at in this study. Anyone know how long we've been studying this? Long time. There's a good answer right there. That's a <laughs> you know, it's a really good answer. Uh, not on the kingdom, but we did, we did, you know, we did the intermillennial stuff. We did the intertest, not the, we, would, we did the coming out of Babylon, but we started with that. And then we went to the life of Christ. And then from life of Christ, we, no, sorry, after the, we went into the prophecies of Christ. Then the life of Christ. Now the kingdom of Christ. So the question, you know, re legitimately, where do we start any of that stuff? You know, it all flowed. That's kind of how we looked at it. Um, kingdom of Christ, according to my records, we started in early July. The first PowerPoint that I have is July 2nd. Um, that's eight months. We've been looking at the kingdom of Christ for eight months. Uh, you think we've done a thorough job or just haphazard? Thorough. Thorough. <laughs> Nora says thorough. I would say pretty thorough. If there's a point to be had, it's, it's been made pretty much. Um, Yeah, they, it does. It overlaps with the life of Christ. It overlaps with the prophecy of Christ, and it should. You know, that's a, we expect it to. We expect it all to overlap and reinforce all of that kind of thing. 
Um, I typically use Kaufman's commentaries, and today I'm going to tell you, there's more Kaufman words than there are dog words in this one. And I'll just leave it at that. And we can argue about that, or we can just, you got the point. And, uh, Bible Gateway is where I get my uh, Bible text. I'm using the Legacy Standard Version, continuing to use it, even though I did botch it the first time. With, uh, what was that? I used the wrong word. I had one letter missing. Anyways, I botched it that time. But we'll continue to use it just to try it. Uh, Studylight.org has got commentaries, language tools, and maps. Um, I use mainly commentaries today. Yellow, words of man. White, words of God. Okay, so we're at, like I said, we've done these... The study began in July. From what we studied, which is before we get to where we're going, what do you believe about the kingdom? Who's the king? Is the kingdom now? Is it still to come? So what do you believe about the kingdom based on the study that we have from the last eight months? Who's the king? King. Christ. Christ is king. We've heard this forever, and, you know, that's... That's the answer. Christ is king. We've said it. We've heard it. Some of the people who will argue about the kingdom, they won't say that Christ is, they've said Christ is king, but they won't say Christ is king of the kingdom. So who's king of that kingdom? That's another question. But the kingdom is, if Christ is king, then it's his kingdom. Is it now? Is it still to come? No. Now. My kingdom. Kingdom of Christ is now. The church is the kingdom of Christ. Yeah, he established it when he ascended. Right. He established it when he ascended. Um, he's the first stone laid. He's the cornerstone. He's the first stone laid. Yes. That was, that's something that we kind of, with Matt's lessons on Wednesday, it ties into that, stone, that too. He's the first stone laid. The kingdom is his. It's based on him. Is it still to come? You know, there's days left in the kingdom. Don't lose that. You know, it doesn't end today, hopefully. Uh, but anyways, it could. But, you know, the, but the kingdom is established. The church is the kingdom. And everything we've looked at so far, do you see, have you seen anything other than that? And what we've studied in the eight months, last eight months, have we shown anything different? Hopefully not, right? I don't believe we have. I don't, I'll say Chuck doesn't believe we have. I, that's everything points to that. And why we started because there is so much discussion about what the kingdom is, where it is, when it is. Yeah. You say, well, where does the Bible say about the kingdom? Where is it? When is it? It's now. Where is it? It's in the spiritual realm. Are we part of it? Absolutely. That, that's it. There's a lot of discussion out there. On, when when is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? You know, it's it's now. It's we're in it. It's not a, a not a spot, a physical place kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, and that's what we've tried to show. Did I summarize that pretty decent? Okay, and that's what we've tried to show, and hopefully it's been shown. This is from Wikipedia. It's not an Easter egg. It just kind of looks like one. Um, can you read any of that? Okay. There are four main kind of teachings on what they call the millennium. Okay, the blue one, the cross. The cross is it's when Christ hung on a cross, like you said, huh? It's a milestone. It's a milestone. Yeah, it's a milestone. It's interesting that it is 
Right. None of them start before Christ died. None of them before, started before he ascended to the cross. None of them start before the day of Pentecost. You know. So all four start with the cross and they end differently. They all end at, well, they all end with Judgment Day. And then after Judgment Day is just eternity. And they all agree on eternity. These different, uh, these different ideas. The blue one is post-tribulational premillennialism. And what people teach with that is after the cross we've had a tribulation. There will be a second coming of Christ. Then he'll reign on earth for a thousand years. And then they'll have the second judgment. Okay, That's not what we teach. The pink one is pre-tribulational dispensational premillennialism. <laughs> Don't you like words like this? It's way more scientific like that. Before, before the big tribulation, which, uh, anyways, they, I'll teach that one too. Is I think it's basically we just live until the second coming, and then there's a tribulation. Um, then there's a second coming, a second second coming. I think that's what I said, the second coming with the church. And then there's a thousand-year reign, and then the judgment. The post-millennial has us basically a millennium of reign. Christ is the king for a thousand years until the second coming. And the all-millennial is it's a symbolic thousand years. Christ is king, and then he comes again. I won't even let you pick. The last one is what we believe. The last one's what we teach, that uh, Christ is king now. And the one that the scriptures support. Thank you. That's, that's really the key. The other ones the scriptures does not support. You will find this in discussions in the world. You'll find literature. You'll find books. You'll find movies. According to the notes I have, the majority of mainline churches do not support any of the, they only support a millennial, which is, I didn't expect that. There are people, basically with this, if you don't know, there are people that think Christ is going to come a second time. Some of these versions, Christ, Christ comes a second time. He's king on earth for a thousand years, and then he goes back to heaven. Or he comes a third time, is what some of them almost come. None of that is supported by, by uh, Scripture. It makes for a uh, good discussion by people. The, uh, anybody ever heard of the rapture? The rapture is another one that's not supported by Scripture. But the rapture that they come with that is Christ's people go out, and everybody kind of fights it out with Satan or something, and then the winners get to go to heaven too. None of this is supported by Scripture. The only ones that are supported by Scripture, the thousand years is a symbolic one. Christ has been king since the day of Pentecost, since he rose to heaven, however you want to look at it. Right. It's a spirit, yeah, you're right. So they just—they totally—they put a—they put a fight, yeah. They put a fight physically. And they put a physical kingdom. They put him on a king in Jerusalem. They, none of that's supported by scripture, and it's, yeah, it's in a wrong thought process, even. So, anywho, what do we th- what do we believe about the second coming of Christ? First Thessalonians four sixteen through seventeen says, "For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout." 
the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and to always be with the Lord. This is the last. This is the end of time. Christ comes with the trumpet. People who are dead but are faithful in Christ, and they will rise with Him. It happens immediately. Um, and then Chuck, I know we're going to, as we talked about earlier, what's Christ do with the kingdom? That's part of it too. What happens to the rest of it? If, if Christ's kingdom goes with Him to heaven at this second coming, what about the rest of it? And the rest of it is destroyed. Is really the key to it. All, all creation is destroyed. It's the end of time. Alright, so here we'll get to the Here's where we find that this, the concept of the thousand years, the concept of the millennium, springs from Revelation 20. I'm going to read it, and by and large, we're not even going to touch it. Um, I, this is a thought topic. I thought I'd kind of set it up as we went forward. Um, I, you could, we could have done weeks and months of study on just this, too. So I'm not, we're not even going to try. Now, like I said, nothing we had supports it. I rarely talk to the naysayers. Today I will. Um, so, Revelation 20, starting in verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer till the thousand years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a short time. You can see where they get the idea, contrary to everything else we've looked at. Starting in verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their witness of Jesus and because of the word of God, who had also not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no authority. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are finished, Satan will re be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they, come up, they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And the fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet were also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sits upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Then I saw the dead, and the great, and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, and this is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written on the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the chapter. If you know anything about Revelation, I know there's at least three different ways to re interpret Revelation. Literal, symbolic, a mix of two. I talked to Doug Gertz this morning. He just came from the lectureship at Freed Hardeman a couple weeks ago. He said they talked about a fourth one too. And I don't know exactly what that is. But there's different ways to look at it. Um, I, they've taken this very, very literal to come up with a thousand years. Um, like I said, um, to get into symbology and stuff, it's a huge study. Um, yeah, we're going to get into it. And we've been eight months in the <laughs> getting to today. So, yeah, I'm not going to cram it into 45 minutes. 
Interpretation of Revelation 20 is largely determined by the view already taken in the preceding chapters. The previous six chapters, there's letters to the seven churches, and then there's a final judgment, which happens six times in the preceding chapter. So you see a final judgment in the, what I got here, and this is Kaufman's notes, it's his words. In Revelation 6, 12 through 17, you see a judgment in, in uh, the relation of the seals, in relation to the trumpets, Revelation 11, 14 through 19. Harvest the earth, Revelation 14, 14 through 20. At the pouring out of the vials of wrath, Revelation 16, 12 through 20. The judgment of the harlot, judgment of the scarlet beast, Revelation 18, Revelation 19. These are six accounts of the final judgment. This chapter, no different. This chapter is the seventh, seventh way of looking at judgment. Go ahead, Chuck. Yes, so for, it's the only future prophetic book for, from our time. Yeah, and if, if you don't look at what you interpret in Revelation is what it says plainly in what you had in Thessalonians, is what it said in the first book of Acts, what it, what it said about it in Second uh, Peter. If it, doesn't, if it doesn't reconcile with those accounts, you're interpreting it wrong. If it doesn't jive with everything we've looked at in the rest of the New Testament, it's it's interpreted wrong. Yep. It, you're right. It, it's interpreted wrong if it doesn't jive with whatever we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Reconcile. It's gotta. It's gotta match up. And I, first one. Just take verse one. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss. If you're gonna take it literal, you got this angel coming down. He's got this big key, and it's gonna be a bigger key than this to open up. You know, where heaven or where hell is. He lays hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil. He lays a hold of Satan. He's got a chain on Satan? Come on. And he looks like a dragon. He looks like a dragon. You know, if you're going to take it literal, it's got to be that way. And that's, you know, you're going to have to add that in with everything else. That it's a literal chain with a literal lock. And he literally looks like a dragon. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is a big rock. He's a big stone. Yeah, That's ridiculous. Do you know? Well, That's exactly what people are doing here. Yeah. Or, you know, that, you go, you go, you've, had, you've had heart surgery. Did they, uh, did they put, put a stent in that uncut rock inside of you? You know? <laughs> Basically, I guess they did, didn't they? But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't a rock in there. I mean, it's... Yeah, you got to understand. Yeah, it's figurative. It's figurative. We speak figuratively, and sometimes we get misinterpreted because of that kind of thing. But this all has to jive. If it doesn't fit together, it's been interpreted wrong. Calvin said it should naturally be expected the seventh presentation is judgment also. This is basically where the, we've already seen the harlot, scarlet beast are judged. This is where Satan himself is judged in this chapter. Uh, the devil who deceived him was thrown into the lake of fire. Um, there's only one judgment day. We're pretty clear with that. Anybody believe there's a second judgment day? If it wasn't good enough the first time, I get a second chance? Quite honestly, we've had our second chance, right? We've had it with, with the, the blood of Christ has given us a second chance. No. 
Only the only Christ can open the book, right? He's the only one worthy. And the books are your name's in or it ain't in. And that, that's, yeah, that's a tough thing to teach. It's a tough thing to understand. But it's, there it is too. Um, anyways. In this chapter, Satan joins the other two enemies in the lake of fire. The beast, Revelation 19, that you also see here when he joins the beast. The beast is a persecuting government, uh, is what it's typically looked at as. The false prophet is the land beast, it's also the harlot. It's false religion. It started out as paganism. Today it's, it could be paganism again, but apostate Christianity. Um, churches that don't lead people to Christ. People that don't lead people to follow the scriptures. You know, those are, those are there with Satan in the lake of fire. Lake of fire being hell. Um, you could get into a whole study on the lake of fire. Maybe we will. Uh, we'll see. So the history of the Millennium Doctrine, you know where you got to know where it's come from, and I'm only showing it to you so you know it. Like I said, it's uh, ain't enough here to do anything with. There's something that you can do with it, but you need to understand it because you will hear it. And like I said, it doesn't jive. First millenarians were the heretics who heretic, whatever. Heretics, heretics, heretics. The first millenarian. Oh my goodness. Do you think Kaufman talked this way? So I use his words, but he wrote that way. He wrote that way. You know, well, Grant found my, the paper I published while I was working on my PhD. Um, he found it, the University of Alabama Library, found the journal. He sent me a picture of it. And uh, so there it is, because I've seen it one time, but it got published long after I stopped working on it. But <laughs> I said, go ahead and under, try to read that and understand it. You know, I can't read it today and understand it. You know, <laughs> I was in it at the time, and it's like, this is great. This is what I was working on. Long ago passed. <laughs> and don't think I talk like that at all. Um, I try not to even. I try to make the easiest way. I love big words, but oh my goodness. So the first people that really supported this thousand year reign thing were the heretics who troubled the church in Thessalonica. Second Thessalonians 2, it starts right there. Now we ask you brothers with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together that you quickly that you not be quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed, whether by a spirit or a word or a letter, as, it is, as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So there was already people at this time saying that Jesus had already come again. There was already people trying to sway the church a different way before Paul gets the second letter that written to the Thessalonians. So it was already starting at that point that some people were saying Christ had come again. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't listen to him. That saying there's a Christ. Yeah, no, none of that is supported by Scripture. So it started then. In the first three centuries of the Christian era, there were people that taught strange stuff. One of the ones right here is the elders. This is one of the speculations that was taught. The elders saw that John, the disciple of the Lord, state that they heard him say how the Lord used to teach in regard to these times. The one him and say. The days will come when vines shall grow, each having 10,000 branches, and each branch 10,000 twigs, each twig 10,000 shoots, and each shoot 10,000 clusters, and every cluster 10,000 grapes, and every grape would yield 25 meters of wine. This is some of the kind of stuff that was taught. They were making stuff up. They were making stuff up. 
If you've never seen that before, neither have I. So, yeah, they were making stuff up, and that's really the point. Stuff continues to get made up. Um, the the pre-Nicene era, 303 is when they, uh, 303 A.D. is the uh, decree of Nicene, is that what it's called? Anyways, basically the church at that time kind of came together and decided on the Trinity, decided on, you know, agree that the Trinity is what we teach, is, is what was the real a lot of decisions were made rather than having a bunch of all kinds of ideas. Some people got together and came up and settled on stuff. Anyway, some of the things that were taught at this time and were spiritualized, a guy named Origen invented a doctrine of purgatory. Anyone ever heard of purgatory? It's not hell and it's not heaven, right? It's a way station. It's a way station. Is it a way station or is it the, the, the not heaven, not hell? Is it the, I'm stuck in the, I'm neither? Because a lot of people, I think you've taught it before, there are people that believe in almost a third choice. Okay, if I don't go to heaven, eh, I'm not bad enough for hell, but there's a middle ground. But that ain't true either. Um, Augustine came up with original sin. That means that you were born because of the sin of your parents, which that's not sin either. Uh, total hair. Total hereditary depravity. All this stuff was kind of made up. So, uh, and it went dormant for a long time until about the 1900s, 1800s. In the 1800s, a revival of interest in studying the scriptures. Bibles were more available. They were printed. They were printed in English. They were available to you know, not like they are now, where you get it on your phone for free or you get it at a dollar store. But they were available. Uh, scientific advancements. So people were interested in studying, reading. Um, there's a lot of good stuff being done, but Satan always appears when that happens. The Restoration Movement, the Church of Christ comes out of the Restoration Movement. That came from that time frame. I know Stone, Smith, Campbell, and Scott were part of that. I don't know, recognize a guy named Kelly. Also, the Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah Witnesses come out of this time. And my understanding is those come out of somebody who's saying that the world will end on this day, and when it didn't, a new church was born. Um, and my understanding is my understanding is Jehovah's Witnesses, the guy claimed in 1919 that the world did end. So we're, not, we're in a post-end-of-the-world world. That's my understanding. That may or may not be true, but that's my understanding of that. So, neither here nor there for them. But I'm, we're trying to teach the truth, and I just want to know where other people come from. Complexity of Millennium Doctrine. So, at this, this is the... Uh, um, it's an incomplete summary with some of the ideas that come with people who believe in the thousand-year reign. At the start of that, they believe that Christ will literally return to earth and take, personally take charge of all things for literally 1,000 years. So that's what's taught with that. Um, they also teach he will reign from Jerusalem on the literal throne of David. So is the throne of David still there? Is Jerusalem where Jerusalem was? Rwanda, you've been to that area. Is everything defined as this is where it was and this is where it is, or is it still kind of theory? Not guaranteed, is it? Nothing's guaranteed. So, anyways, this is what that group teaches. Again, not what we've looked at in the scripture at all. The righteous, they believe that the righteous dead will be raised with mortal, immortal bodies to help the Lord reign over people with normal bodies. They believe that the Lord will personally convert the whole world, who, though they reject the gospel, will receive them. That's going to be a tough one, isn't it? Would you believe that you would convert the whole world who didn't believe the gospel in the first place? That would be a tough one to find. 
I also believe after the thousand years, the Lord will suddenly turn the devil loose and the great tribulation will follow. The righteous will be called up in the rapture, escape all this. There will be a series of judgments is ranging from two to seven, depending on the form of the theory believed. During the great tribulation, Enoch and Elijah, who never died, will return to earth, preach Christ, suffer martyrdom, and be raised from the dead and go on preaching. They believe that the Jews will be converted and rally around Christ in Jerusalem. Uh, they've rejected the gospel, but nevertheless will accept Christ. Uh, they believe that the church becomes a stepchild or a concubine in all millennially related speculations. They believe that resurrections are as plentiful as judgments, depending on the shade of the heresy advocated. They believe that some will assert that the wicked dead will rise and give a second chance to accept Christ. Anyways, that's some of the thoughts that are out there. We're going to pass over I don't talk to the naysayers. You know, I, that's what I put it there that you hear this kind of stuff, um, compare it to Scripture. Millennialism's. Go ahead, Chuck. There's an underlying theme that you see in that, is that people are going to be, to some extent, compelled. God has never compelled someone. He's never forced you to get it. Come in. Never. He's never done something so amazing. Well, he has, but you know, I mean, you know, if he comes again and people all of a sudden they never trusted the gospel and they never trusted the word of God, but they saw him come again, now they believe. Now, you know, that. No, it's centered on yeah. It's all centered on the physical realm. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't jive with anything we've been teaching, everything we've been studying. It doesn't jive with that. Um, some of the people have refuted this, and I don't know these guys, but their statements are viable to me. Millennialism is liable to sundry. Very grave objections, some of which seem to me to be wholly unanswerable. Anyway, some of the things that come up, you can't even answer them. Where did they, you know, where did these ideas come from? There's nothing that, how do you refute something that you, there's nothing that correlates to, you know? So, the whole scheme is in my judgment, not in mine only, but in that the vast majority of believing Bible students of all ages, entirely untenable. So, basically, this guy, Albertus Peters, says, if you study the Bible, you can't follow the scheme. All the, and all the creeds of the Christian church, ancient, modern, Catholic, Protestant, are amillennial. They believe that the kingdom of Christ is now. It's the church. It's now. I didn't realize this. Like I said earlier, I didn't realize that the majority of churches believe that the kingdom of Christ is now. You know, The other stuff is outside the church. It's very talked about, very taught, but it's not taught with Scripture. It's not taught with Bible because it doesn't jive with that. So, I think there's 12 things here, and we'll try to hit those, to refute millennial doctrine. It's based on a literal translation, literal interpretation of Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7, a passage which should be interpreted symbolically. It's ridiculous that the devil will be caught up and tied with a literal chain and imprisoned in a pit with no bottom in it. So, to in, if you're going to buy, if you're going to think part of it is literal, you're going to have to take all of it as literal in this thing. And that's, you know, you can't. So, number two, go ahead. Yeah, everything's physical. No, it's there for us to understand. When he talks about heaven itself, talks about it in terms that we understand. 
if heaven's timeless, there's certain things that can't happen in heaven. Um, sound doesn't work without time. Sound's a frequency. There's so many beats per second. Hertz is how we measure that in. So if you don't have time, you don't have singing. You don't have sound. You don't have talking. Do you know color doesn't work without time? Color is, again, a frequency of light. So there's no color. You can't have pearly gates. You can't have golden roads. You can't have all that. Can you eat? Can you, what can you do without time? None of that. But it's a description for us to understand. We can't conceive of existence without time. <laughs> In 57 years, I haven't had a, t a day without time. You know, man, you know, my, my doctoral advisor, used to, is one of his things he would tell me, there are 168 hours in a week. Part of it is you're not going to get 169. You'll never find that one hour. You'll never find 168 hours plus one second. We can't conceive a world without time. And this is all based on time. Number two, a literal return of Christ to earth would not add anything to him who, it already, has, who already has all authority in heaven and earth. Christ is already seated at the right hand of God, Colossians 3.1, bringing him back to earth and placing him in a literal throne in Jerusalem would be more than equivalent of demoting a five-star general to the greater private. So Christ is always, I can't say it any better than that. Christ is already on the throne in heaven to bring him back to, a, to an earthly throne that you're going to have to polish every day? Eh, you're going to demote him very far. He's already got all authority. Matthew 28.18-20. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all I commanded you. Behold, I'm always with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The physical and liberal return of Christ to earth would cancel and nullify all the benefits of his ascension. He said, It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. John 16, 7. The Holy Spirit could not operate if Christ was literally on earth. His return would mean the end of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can see that in John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. So, Christ comes back, there's no ministry of the Holy Spirit. That goes away. You know, So, that nullifies what he did. Again, this is refuting the millennial doctrine. His physical, literal return would cancel and deny his office as the holy high priest of our sacred religion. And Hebrews 8 4 says, Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. He would not be a Levitical priest. He would not be a priest according to Aaron. He's not in the right tribe. He wasn't. But Chuck and I have taught. We talked a couple, three weeks on Christ being the high priest, right? So he would not be the priest, the high priest, if he came back to earth. When Christ comes again, he will give the kingdom back to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-24. We are going to talk about this. The second advent will be the occasion when Christ ends his reign, not when he begins it. So we've, like I said, we've talked for eight months about the kingdom of Christ. It doesn't start at the end. It's when it ends. 1 Corinthians 15, 23-24, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. For each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ that is coming, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, to the God and Father, then he, when, all, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power.
Christ is now reigning on David's throne. That's in Acts 2, 30-31, Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost. The only possible objection to this is that it places David's throne in heaven, but that is exactly where the Old Testament says it will be. So, um, Number seven, the whole system belittles the church. Review flatly contradicted by Ephesians 3.21, Acts 20.28. 20, if, you know, if this with a thousand year reign type thing, uh, if, if flat, it contradicts Ephesians 3.21, to him be the glory in the church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus all generations forever and ever. And Acts 20.28, 20, be on guard for yourselves and all the flock, uh, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And that's, as an elder, that one's directed at me. Um, anyways. Verse 8, I mean, number 8, it denies the power of the gospel. The gospel cannot save people, especially the Jews, but Christ can, is what it, that their doctrine teaches. When Christ comes, he will, it will not be to convert anybody, but to judge the ungodly sinners who reject the gospel. That's 2 Thessalonians 2 8. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end of his appearance all coming. Such speculations deny the truth that no man knows the day, nor the hour, nor the Lord's, of our Lord's return. Uh, one may marvel at the gullibility of people who trust some prophet who pretends that he knows. And we talked about that earlier. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17. Uh, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God. And dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up together and them, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we'll always be with the Lord. Anyways, the, complex, uh, the whole complex of multiple resurrections and judgments prevalent in all phases of the heresy of the thousand-year reign is contrary to the plain words of the whole Bible. Uh, you can look at this one right here of how, it's, how at the end of time works. Uh, the key, if you, if the people who believe in the rapture, uh, my understanding is the Schofield Study Bible is where that kind of started. And a lot of people carry that. It's got the indexes of how scriptures go together, and it started with that. So a lot of us still have Schofields, but that's where it started. Millennial heresies, whether pre or post, deny the many New Testament passages, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Acts 2, 16 through 70, which designate the current day era as the last days. Uh, the millennialists read in Revelation 20 an immense amount of material that doesn't belong there. There's not a word for the, in the entire Bible about any millennium, except that it is imported into the first seven verses of this chapter. Many theories constructed on these verses are mutually contradictory and destructive of each other. There's no generally accepted or agreed upon theory of the millennial. Thoughtless and reckless indeed is the man who devoted any time, money, study, talent, or teaching to that which at best is an uncertain and elusive theory. And one that practically the entire company of Christian scholarship of all ages and shades of belief have found it utterly impossible to accept. In a word, the theory is absolutely preposterous and ridiculous. These are Kaufman's words. I know, I just spent 45 minutes teaching about it. I'm not teaching for it. I'm showing it to you. We've spent eight months talking about the kingdom of God, which should not. All the scripture we've pulled out, none of it points for that. And this is where we'll finish that. We not only reject all millennial theories, but also the supportive interpretations which have been concocted in order to bolster them. Such things as the great tribulation, the rapture, the resurrection of the martyrs, and a separate resurrection, which have no proof at all in the New Testament are among the concepts rejected. These are out there. These are talked about. They're in, uh, they're in literature. Like I said, the churches themselves aren't teaching them, although some churches will pick them up. They do not agree with God's Word. And what we need to know for our own selves is 
to be in Christ, to be, you know, the gospel is what saves us. We need to be in Christ. When the second coming comes, it comes. So it will not be a second chance. If you didn't believe in it now, I don't know that you'd want to try, try it at that point. But that's what we need to know now, is to be in the church, in the kingdom. Uh, and I'm just making you aware of what else you're hearing. As we move into what does Christ do with the kingdom, this is part of it too. So anyway, that's where we're at. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. All right. Anybody have any questions? I know when the question. I always ask a thousand questions. I didn't ask a thousand questions today. A thousand wouldn't have been a good number to ask today. Sure. We do want a second chance, yeah. And, and I really believe it if it just came again, it's like, even there's no faith. Our, our justification is because of our faith, not because of what we do. And if you're looking for physical things to prove it to you, there's no faith. Yeah, it can't be physical. It's, it's faith which saves us. It's not physical. It's not what we do. Um, I was listening to a song on the way here this morning and it talked about mercy was on the seat where the judge should be that's where it's at that's where it's at yeah so anyways there's not enough information here to do a whole I know it's a lot crammed in and I purposely didn't give a lot of uh, time into investigating a lot of that we could have gone on forever but we've got eight months of looking at the kingdom we've probably got another several weeks <laughs> looking at what Christ does with the kingdom. Yeah, and then we're going to go from there. So, but anyways, we're going to, if you got questions or whatever, we'll talk about it. Um, I hope it helps you a little bit as you hear stuff that uh, doesn't jive with the Bible. So thank you all for being here.